This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Recently, two well-known Christians publicly renounced their faith. The first one was Joshua Harris. He was became pretty famous for writing a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. It kind of became a phenomenon. It, it sold millions of copies and he became a well-known speaker and, and really a mega church pastor, ran all sorts of conferences. And then about a little over a week or so ago, he went to his Instagram account and he said that he no longer stands by what he wrote in those books. Also, he said uh, that he was getting a divorce And then finally that uh, he's not a Christian any longer. The second one was Marty Sampson. Uh, He is the lead singer and songwriter for Hillsong. Hillsong is one of the the largest churches in Australia, really in the world. And, And also they have a music group by the same name. And really their music has influenced almost all of Christian contemporary music today. Any music song that you you hear on the radio has been influenced by Hillsong. And the lead singer this last week went to his Instagram account and he said, I no longer consider myself a Christian. Now, when I heard this news, I was at first very sad because both of these influential leaders have, have encouraged me in my faith. I read Harris's books. I've listened to Samson's music and it's helped me grow to be a stronger Christian today. And I was troubled to hear why they left their faith. It's not that they uh, found some new airproof, airtight argument of the non-existence of God. The reason that they had left the Christian faith is because they said there were parts of the Bible that offended them. There were parts of the Bible that they no longer liked, and so they walked away from Christianity. I guess we shouldn't be too surprised with what they said. The Bible offends everybody at some level. If you go over to Asia and you start preaching the Bible, there'll be parts of the Bible that the people in Asia will be offended by. Then if you go and and preach the Bible to people in Africa, there'll be different parts of the Bible that offends them. And then if you go to the Middle East, there'll be different parts of the Bible that offends them. And then you go to Europe and, and the United States and North America, then there'll be different parts. You go to South America and there'll be different parts of the scriptures that offend each different culture. It offends us all at some level. And what can happen is, is that when we are offended by the word of God, we might turn away from Christianity. And maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you just feel in your own heart that there's just parts of the Bible that you just, you're pushing away, you're pushing back on, and you're ready just to walk away. And if that's you here today, here's what I want you to know. You might not want God, but God will always want you. You might be offended by God's word, but God wants you. And that's how we're going through this sermon series. It's the second week on the sermon series called Wanted. And we're walking through the book of Jonah. It's a book in the Old Testament, really. Actually, it's one page in my Bible. One page back and uh, front and back. And last week we began talking about this. Pastor Bill told us a little bit about Jonah. 
And now Jonah was a prophet. He lived about 2,800 years ago, 800 years before Jesus. And he was a well-known, recognized man of God. In fact, he had the ear to the king. The king of Israel went to Jonah for advice on, on, on different difficult cases. And what we hear in the, the first verse of this book, and we heard it last week, it goes like this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. So God said, here's the word of the Lord. Go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, and they were growing in power at this time. In fact, uh, 60, 80 years in the future after Jonah, Assyria would basically take over the world. So that was a rival. And when God said, go to Nineveh and preach against its wickedness, go up to the Middle East, Jonah turned around and went towards modern-day Spain. As far away as you could possibly go, he heard the word of the Lord and he went the other direction. Now, why was it? What was it about this command that was so offensive to Jonah? Is it because, you know, when God said, go preach against Nineveh because they're so wicked? um, Was Jonah offended by that thinking, you know, I'm not going to follow a God who who is so close-minded, I'm not going to follow a God who's so strict. That kind of God, I don't want to follow a strict God who calls the Ninevites wicked. Is that why he didn't want to go? We don't find out his motives for why he didn't want to go to Nineveh until we get to Jonah chapter 4. I'll be preaching on this in two weeks, but here's a little preview. It says, now this is after Jonah had preached to Nineveh, after people got converted. And when you hear this, you kind of have to stomp your feet a little bit and throw a little tantrum because that's what Jonah's doing. Um, it goes, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Wrong that they were converted. Wrong that God wasn't going to punish them. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life. It is better for me to die than live. Jonah's saying, I'm so offended that you're so loving, that you're so open-minded, God, that, that you love people who are far from you. That is so offensive. Can you imagine somebody in the United States saying something like that, right? I don't like Christianity because it's too open-minded, too accepting, right? But if you would do mission work in the Middle East or other parts of the world, that's exactly what they struggle with, that, that this Christianity is, is, so, is so forgiving as a compassionate and gracious God. Uh, who would follow a God like that that doesn't give us clear uh, laws and, and clear judgment? But here in the United States, what offends a, a North American is that God God condemns certain lifestyles, that God says we must change, that that, that God seems too strict for our culture. Do you see what I'm saying? That the word of God offends every different culture, every different individual, every different person, but for different reasons, but for different reasons. Now, why is that? Why is the Bible so offensive to so many people? 
Well, it's because what we're offended by is not just a book, but the God behind the book. That's what really offends us. We're offended by the God behind the book. You see, there is a real God who wants to speak to us, and, and this is the communication to who wants to speak to us through the word. And when he speaks to us, sometimes he says things that offend us. And that's how it works when we're in a relationship with anybody. Anytime we're in a close relationship, we all offend each other. We push each other. Sometimes I do, uh, do pre-marriage counseling before someone gets married, and I have this couple in my office, and they'll just be batting their eyes at each other and holding hands, and, and it's just so goo-goo over each other. And I'm trying to tell them that, like, so glad you're excited to get married. This is going to be great. But I just want you to know that in, like, a year, when things get hard, let's talk, right? Let's, let's work on this, right? And they're like, they don't even hear what I'm saying. That will never happen to us. We'll never have problems, right? But that's reality. When you're in a close relationship, you're going to say things to the other person, encourage them, love them, say hard things because you love them. You don't want them to stay where they are. You don't want them to keep going down a bad path. You want them to change and continue to follow the Lord and become the kind of people that God wants them to be. And you know that is with a good friendship. You have a good friend who sees you going in the wrong direction, walking away from God, and they'll, they'll love you enough to say some hard things that might offend you. And that's what it's like when you're in a relationship with God. Sometimes when he speaks to you, it offends us. And when, when that happens, you have one of two decisions. You can either let God change you, change, repent, turn back to God, or you can turn away from God. And, and Jonah turned away from God. And he ran. We heard about that last week. He, he got in a boat and he sailed off towards Spain. And God loved him enough to send a storm to get his attention. And the storm got so bad that, that he actually was thrown into the water. And usually when that, something like that happens, the story's over, right? Usually it's, Somebody rebelled against God, walked away, they fell into the water, and a shark ate him, right? Jaws, and it's over, right? But not this story. Uh, at the end of chapter 1, it says this, chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now this verse has inspired all sorts of toys for children, right? All sorts of Sunday school lessons and, and, and vacation Bible school studies of, of a fish or a whale or something gobbling up uh, a, a, a Jonah. And some people get tripped up on this. They, they think it's too unrealistic. Well, there have been, just, just to let you know, there have been cases of human beings getting swallowed up by sharks and fishermen catching the sharks and opening up the sharks and finding the human beings still alive inside. So this is not uh, outside of the possibilities, but... It's God. He created the heavens and the earth. He raises the dead. This is, this is not an issue for him. But this one verse is really not the whole focus of the book of Jonah. It's not about the fish or the whale or whatever it was. It's about Jonah and what happens to him when he sees the consequences of running away from God. Now he's inside of this, this sea creature and we meet a totally different Jonah. He starts to pray this beautiful Hebrew prayer, which is what we would all do if we're stuck inside of a belly of a fish. Start reciting poetry, right? But this is what he does. It's just beautiful. He, he says this prayer to the Lord uh, when he's in this situation. And this is what he says. And we meet here a completely different Jonah than Jonah chapter 1. 
In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. That's a pretty interesting image. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. We meet a totally different Jonah here. In the first chapter, we saw a Jonah who who heard about the mercy of God and he didn't want anything to do with a God so merciful until he needed a God of mercy. He didn't want anything to do with a God who had compassion until he needed compassion. He didn't want anything to do with, with a God who rescues until he needed to be rescued. He didn't want anything to do with a God who saves until he needed to be saved. And if you're doing the fill in the blank in the worship folder, here's the first fill in the blank. We don't want the real God until we really need him. We don't want the God who says that marriage is between one man and one woman and sex is for inside of marriage. We don't want that kind of God until our relationships fall apart and we realize the wisdom of the God who created that. We don't want a God who says, love me first, put me first in in your life until we put other very good things, but we put them first in our life like money or entertainment or, or, or prestige. And we put those other things in first place in our life and we feel empty. We feel unfulfilled. We don't want a God who says, put me first until we need a God in first place in our life. We don't want a God who shows mercy to our enemies forgives a sinner until we need to be forgiven. We don't want the real God until we really need him. Jonah goes on to explain what happened to him. He says, verse seven, when my life was ebbing away, his life slipping away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you toward your holy temple. So you can just picture this. He, he feels his life ebbing away. Uh, Jonah is sinking down into the depths of the sea and there's nothing left to grab onto. And God is letting him feel the consequences of his sin and his rebellion and turning away. God loves him enough. He loves him enough to let him feel the consequences of his sin. And he sinks down into the depths And he turns to the Lord and remembers the Lord. And he says, he turns toward the holy temple. Now, for an Old Testament Israelite, the temple was God's hotspot of his holiness. It was the place where he revealed who he was. He revealed what he thought about sin, the reality of sin and wickedness and evil, but also the place where he revealed his love and forgiveness as there was daily sacrifices that that pointed ahead towards Jesus. Now, this is also true for us. Have you felt that when, maybe right now, when, when life is just falling apart and you feel like you're falling and you have nothing left to grab onto, when God loves us enough to let us feel the consequences of our sin and we got nothing left to grab onto, and finally, 
we turn to the Lord. When we're lying on our back, the only place to look to is up, right? When we get to the end of our rope, that's where God's front office begins. When we're, our lives are ebbing away, then we turn towards the Lord. But we don't turn towards the temple. As New Testament Christians, we turn towards the fulfillment of the temple, Jesus Christ, the cross. And when we look at the cross, we see who God really is. And at first, it's an offensive message that it would take the very blood of God to wash me clean. That's offensive to hear. But it's so sweet when you believe it that it's the very blood of God that has washed you clean, that has forgiven you, that's given you hope and a future. That's good news. That's good news. And so that's what I hope happens today. I hope you, you turn to the Lord and you receive this good news that God loves you in Jesus Christ, that he forgives you. The real God really loves you. And now Jonah, he explains what he, what he learned from this experience. Verse eight, he says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Literally, those who turn away to empty vapor, or those who cling to empty, empty vapor, those who cling to empty idols, they turn away from God's mercy. So Jonah's admitting, you know, when I turned away from God, I was making up my own version of God, which was no God at all. And when I would try to hold on to a fake, made-up, imaginary God, I couldn't hold on to him. It was like vapor. It was empty. It was an idol. And at the same time, when I'm grasping at a God that doesn't exist, I'm turning away from the God of mercy. And I think that's what Jonah wants to teach us today too. The danger of making up your own version of God of making up your own version of God, uh, of, of worshiping something smaller than the God of the Bible. It's like grabbing vapor. It's like grabbing smoke. And at the same time, you're turning away from the God of mercy. And so what does Jonah do? He makes a vow. He rededicates himself to the Lord. That's what he says here at the end. Verse nine, but with shouts of grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So he's saying, now I'm going to rededicate myself to the real God. God told me to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. God told me to go there. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go preach to that city that salvation comes from the Lord. I'm going to rededicate myself. I'm going to rely on this God. And, and that's what I hope happens today. That you now rededicate yourself to the God of the Bible. And so if you're filling the blank, here's the takeaway. Rely on the real God. Rely on the real God. What do I mean by that? What does it mean to rely on the real God? Well, you think about Joshua Harris and, and Marty Sampson, and I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. Those are just the ones that we see. But the, the many, many people who when they're reading God's word or studying God's word, they get to something that offends them and they turn and run and they don't want to rely on the real God of the Bible. And what Jonah is saying here is, is, is when you find something that, that, that you don't agree with in the Bible, don't change the Bible, change yourself. You know, especially today, 
Anytime we, we come up against something that offends us, we turn and run. We run from anything that offends us, anything that challenges us, anything that, that we don't agree with. And what Jonah's saying, when, when, when you're reading scripture, when you know the real God, don't run from him, rely on him. Let him change you. Let him forgive you. Let him encourage you. Rely on the real God of the Bible. See, this is going to be hard. It's going to be hard to be a Christian. Sometimes there's going to be things in God's word that are going to offend you. It's going to be hard, but that's how all relationships are. People who love you will say hard things to you. Good friends will say hard things to you. And there'll be sometimes when you're reading the Bible and you'll go through doubts and you'll struggle and you'll be offended and you want to turn away from the God, but he's never turning away from you. There'll be sometimes when you don't want the God of the Bible. But here's what I want you to know. There'll be sometimes that you don't want the God of the Bible, but he will always want you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we grieve over all those who seem to be turning away and running from you. Those in, in places of prominence and leadership. And then not just the people out there, but we see it in our own heart, Lord God. We, 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 we feel those times when we want to just uh, cut out sections of scripture and, and, and push you out of our life and turn away from you. Lord God, love us enough to get our attention. Love us enough to bring us back. Love us enough to show us the truth. Love us enough to forgive us in Jesus Christ and lead us to rely on the real God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.